how to deal with Alexander the coppersmith. Those were three of the greatest songs that could have possibly gone with this lesson. Seriously, they do fit pretty well, especially I thought about a line in that last one. When by earthly friends forsaken, still more closely to him cling. So even though friends may forsake us, people may backstab us, and we have to deal with uh, people who are really trying to hurt us, we turn to God, and pretty much that's the lesson, so we can have the closing prayer now if you'd like. Um, Well, no, not really. Uh, But I do think it's interesting that Paul, uh, in doing his work as an evangelist and an apostle, ran across some people that were really, really difficult to deal with and people that hurt him. And one of those is mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith, he says, did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Now, Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, He's concerned that Timothy watch out for Alexander. We're not 100% sure, uh, I think, where Timothy was at this time. We know that uh, he had been left at one point by Paul in Ephesus to do some work there. He mentions that in 1 Timothy. And uh, there are people in 2 Timothy that some work that is done that's related to the work that Paul did in Ephesus. So if we want to think about, first of all, who is this Alexander the coppersmith? Uh, Is he somebody that's known elsewhere in Scripture? And the answer is a definite maybe. Uh, He could actually be, maybe, the Alexander that we read of in Acts chapter 19 and verse 33. You remember the story. Uh, Paul has been in Ephesus after he's experienced quite a bit of success there. The uh, idol makers get really upset because their business is being hurt and they cause a stir and this mob goes into the theater at Ephesus. Uh, And in the midst of all of that, the text will say in Acts 19 and 33 that they brought Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made defense to the people. So we don't learn anything else about Alexander except that he was a part of this mob and was trying to make some sort of defense Uh, against the idolaters that were objecting to the results of Paul's work. I'm not sure that that Alexander would fit the problem that Paul had. Although, the issue there in Acts 19 did have to do with the smiths, again, silversmith, one in particular, who was making idol gods to Diana of the Ephesians. But in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, Everybody and their dog was named Alexander. You know, Alexander the Great uh, in the Greco-Roman world, a lot of people were named Alexander. So, may or may not go with that. But I think a much more likely candidate, somebody that we can almost certainly say is the same Alexander that Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, is found in 1 Timothy chapter 1. So, if you look over there with me real quick. I think Alexander the coppersmith may well be this same one because his actions sort of coincide with the kinds of actions Paul mentions there in 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1 verse 18. I charge you, the charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. 
of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now the phrase there, delivered to Satan, uh, refers to, in essence, what we would call withdrawal, uh, leaving somebody, cutting, cutting them off from your fellowship, leaving them out in the world so that Satan can deal with them. It's a phrase that's also used uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, for instance, uh, when Paul is directing the Corinthians to uh, withdraw from a person there. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 5. But notice about this Alexander that Paul is talking about in 1, Corinthians, in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 18. Uh, he'd rejected a good conscience. He'd rejected the faith, he'd suffered shipwreck of his faith, and he was delivered by Paul to Satan. So here's a, a, a man that went bad and was continuing to be bad, apparently teaching and doing things that were contrary to the will of God. For our purposes in the lesson tonight, we'll just suffice it to say that Alexander the coppersmith was someone who did Paul a lot of harm. He resisted Paul's words, and Paul spoke the truth of Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4, Paul had said about his work as an apostle, he says, we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. The things Paul said were things that came from the Holy Spirit, from Jesus Christ, and were words of the Lord. They were not to be cast aside. They were not to be rejected. And certainly if this Alexander, as seems to be the case, had been a Christian and then turned away from the Lord and was resisting and fighting against the words of the Apostle Paul, he was uh, not pleasing to the Lord. And he was doing not only Paul, but the cause of Christ, great harm. In the short passage there then in 2 Timothy chapter 4. There are just three simple lessons that I like to focus on that will help us in dealing with people like Alexander the coppersmith because let's face it each of us has met Alexander. Everybody in this room if you've lived very long has known a person, had dealings with a person who rejected the truth, is bitter against it. He wants to hurt others because of his bitterness, and he wants them to be bitter too. Reminds me of what the writer of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. When he warns us to look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and thus many become defiled. So here is... Uh, Somebody, Paul had had interactions with him, he turned against Paul, he'd hurt Paul. He's bitter, he'd like to try to make Paul bitter too. All of us have had to deal with people like that. They may be people at work, maybe people at school, maybe people in the church. Maybe even somebody that lives under the same roof you do. Or did live under the same roof. In Alexander's case, 
he was a person who plainly out of spite or malice or just plain meanness tried to hurt Paul. And we've all had that. Somebody who out of spite or malice or just plain meanness tries to hurt us. How do we react to that? How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the person directly? And then how do I deal with it in my mind and in my heart? What do I focus on? Do I let it allow me to be bitter, cause me to be bitter? Do I let it distract me from doing things that need doing in the cause of Christ? You'll see that Paul isn't bitter about this. Paul is continuing to the very end in 2 Timothy to fight the good fight, to do the things that the Lord wants him to do, no matter the harm that's been done to him, no matter how people not only have tried to hurt him, but actually have hurt him. So three lessons that I'd like us to learn from this text. The first of them is, as we're dealing with Alexander, acknowledge that you've been harmed. People do things to hurt us, and they do hurt us, but a lot of times we don't admit that to ourselves. We want to go on like nothing happened, like they really didn't get to us, pretend like it didn't hurt. That's not bravery, it's denial. Paul is a strong man. He'd been really hurt by a lot of people. He doesn't pretend like it didn't happen. But he deals with it in a very healthy and productive way. I think the harm that that Alexander had done to Paul probably went beyond just hurt feelings, don't you think? Alexander had engaged in specific actions that were more than likely harmful to Paul's person, to his reputation, and evidently to his effectiveness as an evangelist. Paul is telling Timothy, he's warning Timothy about this because he doesn't want Timothy to have to experience these same things as a hindrance to his work as well. But Paul acknowledges, he hurt us. He caused me much harm. There are in the Psalms just all sorts of places where David, King David, expresses this same thing about his life. David experienced a lot of harm from his enemies. People, many of them who had once been his friends, starting with King Saul, uh, lots of others as well, who turned their back on him, who hurt him in uh, both physical, uh, political, emotional ways, who took from him, uh, who harmed his family, all sorts of awful things. So we go to the, the Psalms, and I'm going to go over there just a little bit and see in connection with this how, how, how David also, like, like Paul, acknowledges, hey, I'm hurt. Hey, this person, they were able to hurt me, and I'm in pain because of what they did, or I experienced pain because of what they did. So several Psalms, Psalm 6 and verse 7 My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. He's crying. He's in pain, in grief, because of the multitude of his enemies. Psalm 42 and verse 10. As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. So his enemies are reproaching him, saying bad things about him. 
maybe behind his back, probably so, sometimes to his face, but whatever. They were saying all sorts of bad things to get to him, and they did get to them. They did get to him. In fact, he compares it to the breaking of his bones. I mean, he was hurt. As the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. He didn't pretend like it didn't hurt. Psalm 38 and verse 12. Those who seek my life lay snares for me. So you've got all these people, they're laying traps. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all day long. So here you've got people all the time who are trying to get to him, hurt him in some way, trick him into doing something that's wrong or bad. They seek his hurt. And they were being successful in hurting him. Psalm 71 and verse 10, My enemies speak against me, and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together. So you've got not just one person who's hurting him, but people banding together in conspiracies to try to hurt David. He says, My enemies reproach me all day long. They're saying bad things about me. They swear an oath against me. That's Psalm 102 and verse 8. And Psalm 25 and verse 19, Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. You got somebody in your life or have you had somebody in your life that just hates you? And maybe you don't even know why. But they hate you. And at every turn, they'll be against you. They'll try to, try to thwart your progress, try to harm you or your cause. David experienced that. And I think the Apostle Paul did as well. In Psalm 41 then, David says, My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. And all who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. It's just, you know, here's a person, here's a person who approaches you with a fair face and comes, you know, and maybe even acts like they're consoling you. And as soon as they leave, they have bad things to say about you. They spread it. They, they devise a plan to come against you with something. It's just a horrible, horrible experience. It hurts. It hurts. And I think it's healthy, as Paul does, as David does repeatedly, to acknowledge it. Like Paul, David acknowledged the harm or the evil that was done by Alexander. I say all this to say this as well, that to acknowledge it is not to wallow in it. To acknowledge it is not to be overwhelmed by it. Because as we'll see in a moment, Paul has a way of dealing with it that's positive. Actions to take to help others and to help himself go forward. So just because you acknowledge being hurt doesn't mean that you become bitter as well. In fact, it's an effort to not become bitter. It's an effort to not be what this person is who's hurting you. So yes, acknowledge the hurt, but don't wallow in it. Don't let, let you become bitter. Or make you become bitter. 
trust in the Lord, Micah, hold to God's unchanging hand, right? Hold to God's unchanging hand. Trust the Lord to repay, to take care of it. That's the great thing about being a child of God. You do not have to get justice against the people who hurt you. Because you know that God will do that for you. Paul was 100% certain that God's going to take care of Alexander if Alexander needs taken care of. God's going to do that. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, the New King James says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay. But the ESV says, I think maybe more correctly, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord will render to him according to his works. Paul is banking on the fact that however much Alexander may have hurt him, God is going to get justice for Paul. And Paul's Paul's not even going to worry about it. The Lord will repay him. Yeah, he hurt me. Yeah, he hampered the um, spread of the gospel perhaps. But I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to wallow in it. I'm not going to allow it to make me bitter. I'm just going to trust God to handle that and go forward. That's the attitude that every last one of us needs when others hurt us unjustly and are unrepentant. Again, when we go back to the Psalms and we see David experiencing so much harm at the hands of others, most of it unjustified, he continually turns to God as his helper and his vindicator and the one who will give him justice. Psalm 54 and verse 4, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Same thing, almost word for word that Paul says. God will repay. God will repay my enemies for their evil. David's not worried about that. We could could talk a lot more about David. There are a number of places in his life where he was hurt by somebody and he had an opportunity to get vengeance. Whether it was, you know, King Saul or whoever, multiple times. Shammai doesn't take it. Doesn't take it. Go back with me in your Bibles to the 109th Psalm. Psalm 109. This is titled in my Bible as a plea for judgment of false accusers. It's a psalm of David. It starts out in verse 1. Do not keep silent, O God of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are my accusers. But I give myself to prayer. Hold it. (laughs) Just hold it. He's got all of these people accusing him falsely, saying all sorts of bad things about him And he gives himself to prayer. What's he praying for? 
one of the things he's praying for is justice. And he's relying on God for it. He doesn't have to tie up his whole life in getting vengeance on these people that are hurting him without a cause. He can let God take care of that. And so he says in verse 6, Thus they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. And he says in verse 6 then, Set a wicked man over him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty. Let his prayer become a sin. So he's saying all of these things. And some people want to say, well, this is a horrible imprecatory psalm where David is, worship, is wishing all, all sorts of horrible things on these people. No, he, he's not. He's just praying that God will give him justice. These people aren't repenting. These people aren't good. They're not going to be good. And David's just relying on God to take care of them. I see that also in the Apostle Paul. Because we, we trust God to do this, we, we can simply continue to serve him courageously and effectively. It's exactly what Paul did. I don't, I don't catch one indication whatsoever in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that Paul is trying to get back at Alexander. Not one little bit. I'm sure Paul had enough friends. Uh, he probably had some people that if he asked him to would do about anything for him. He didn't spend any of his influence trying to get people to hurt Alexander. It's not what it was about. David says in the psalm about this kind of thing, in Psalm 108 and verse 13, Though God, through God we will do valiantly, for it is He who shall tread down our enemies. It is He who shall tread down our enemies. You ever think about that phrase, tread down? You know, if you tread on something, what are you doing? You're, you're walking on it. <laughs> you're stomping on it. God's the one that's going to take care of that. And he will do a thorough job. He will do what needs doing. Psalm 143 and verse 12, In your mercy cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Isn't that funny, strange, I should say perhaps, that he says, In your mercy, God. In your mercy, what? Be merciful to these people who need punishment? No, in your mercy, punish these people who need punishment. Who's God being merciful to? His servants. He's being merciful to us to punish our enemies so we don't have to. We go on and just recognize that all of this hinges on us in faith, allowing the Lord to be the one who takes the vengeance. In the New Testament, Paul will write in Romans 12 and verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. It is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 6, It's a righteous thing with God. It's the right thing to do, to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. 
So we saw in David, David said it's a merciful thing to do, but it's also a righteous thing to do. For God to punish evildoers who are harming his people. You and I know that divine wrath may be slow. His vengeance may linger for some long time. But it makes up for its tardiness, if you will, by the justice and the thoroughness of the punishment. God is ultimately just. And that's why it's so important that we let him have the justice. If we, if we try to get it ourselves, if I go after somebody myself who's hurt me, winds up that I'm digging my own grave. He who seeks vengeance really has to dig two graves, one for his enemy and one for himself. Just uh, Vengeance is not ours to take, it's God's to take. And he does not appreciate anybody taking what is his. And justice and vengeance are his. Lastly, as we look at what, what Paul did there in dealing with Alexander, he admitted the harm, but didn't dwell on it. He trusted the Lord to repay. And he warned those, especially Timothy, whom he had influence over, uh, about whom he was concerned. You know, Paul loved Timothy like a son. He mentions that in a text we've already read. He writes 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 2 and following, to a beloved son. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God for you, he goes on to say, desiring greatly to see you. I want you to remember now that, that Paul is warning this son whom he loves in the faith. He's warning this person about a bad guy. A bad guy, Alexander the coppersmith, who could hurt him, who would hurt him if he gets the chance. He's warning Timothy to steer clear of him, I think. He's reminding Timothy of the evil that Alexander has already done. But I think it's important to remember that Paul is not basing this warning on rumor or what he thinks Alexander is capable of, but on fact and on the common experiences of both he and Timothy. Timothy knew what Alexander had done. Paul knew what Alexander had done. They both knew the character of the man and the kind of person that he was. So Paul is warning, not based on rumor, not because I don't like him, not just because he hurt me, but because of who he is and what he's liable to do to you. That kind of warning is a righteous warning. There are sometimes we try to warn folks about other people just based on our opinion or because we don't like them or whatever it might be. That's not what's going on here. This is not uh, Paul trying to uh, undermine a good man. This is Paul trying to help Timothy to avoid big problems. He would do what he could to protect Timothy, including warning him of avoidable dangers. Paul did this with others. He frequently warned Christians, either in general or specific, about watching out for people that are going to harm them. To the Philippians, he writes in Philippians 3 and verse 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. That would be the Jews who are insisting on circumcision. He instructs us, Paul does, to follow his example. Romans 16 
He says at the end, toward the end of this letter to the Romans, he says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offense contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve their, our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Paul's telling us to warn one another of those who are proven to cause problems. Take note of them and avoid them. That's what he says. Again, this is not blackballing somebody based on idle speculation. This is saying this person has done evil, they are unrepentant, and we don't want them to harm the rest of our brethren. So we mark them and we avoid them for that purpose. Alexander the coppersmith, his spirit lives today and he needs to be dealt with the same way Paul dealt with him. Paul will write to Titus in Titus chapter 3 and verse 10 to reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. If you've got a man that's definitely divisive and all he wants to do is cause problems for you or for the church, you warn him once, you warn him twice, and then you don't have anything to do with him. So that the cause of Christ may be forwarded. So that his people might not be hindered. I thank you for uh, thinking with me tonight about Alexander the coppersmith. And about how to deal with them. As I said, I really think most all of us have dealt with people like this. And if we haven't, we will. And so this is an instructional lesson that we can put in our back pocket. And unfortunately, probably at some point, have to use. I love to study God's Word. I know you do too. You might think, wow, it's, it's really strange. We spent like 35 minutes talking about Alexander the coppersmith. There is so much in every verse of Scripture. So many lessons to be learned. It take, would take much more than a lifetime. I'm thankful at side that we're here as people, we can talk about grand themes and we can dig into the whole narrative of the Bible and we can, in our Bible classes, try all of us to get a grasp on how that flows from Genesis to Revelation. Or we can spend an hour, one evening, talking about Alexander the coppersmith. And you know why? Because God's word is truth and we love God. Thank you for listening. If there's somebody tonight who's subject to the invitation of Jesus Christ, who knows you've got things amiss in your life that need to be corrected, we'll be glad to help you with that. If there's somebody here who needs to obey the gospel, we're always happy to help anybody at any time who knows that Jesus is Lord, who's willing to confess that and turn away from sin, but has never been baptized for the remission of their sins. We'll be happy to help you do that. Please come while we stand and while we sing.